Good morning. How is everybody? Hope you all are, are doing well. Um, I, I'm a little bit saddened my Detroit Tigers lost game one, so it's a little, little rough. Stayed up for that last night, which is a, a, a bit disconcerting, but hopefully they'll improve. So as we uh, get into it, let me, let me pray, and, uh, and we'll get into things this morning. God, thanks so much for your love for us. God, thank you that you are the light of the world, and uh, we thank you, God, that you sent that light uh, here to, to live and to dwell with us, God. And uh, Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself enough to come and to dwell on this earth and to, to live the perfect and blameless life that we can't live. And uh, God, um, we just thank you for that, that great sacrifice. Thank you uh, that you've called us together. Uh, help us to see that we really are that, that collective city on a hill together. God, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you inspire us uh, this morning? God, I ask that you would give me words to speak. Uh, God, I can't do this uh, through my own strength and power and just ask that uh, that you would be at work. And so we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to worship you through song. And God, we pray that uh, the worship of you would continue as we look at your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out this morning. I want to tell you a, a story. One of the, uh, the privileges of, of being in youth ministry almost nine years now uh, is you get to do a lot of interesting trips. Sometimes it's mission trips to other parts of the world, camps, things like that. But there's one trip in particular that has always been a, a favorite of, of mine that we've done several times here at, at Orangewood. And it's, called, it's a wilderness trip. And so we'll, we'll take anywhere from you know, 20 to 30 students, load them up in, a, uh, in a, you know, a bunch of vans, make the 14-hour drive up to the mountains of Tennessee. Um, so right now you're thinking, why is this fun? This sounds terrible to me. You know, like trapped in a van, driving all, all this time. We get up to the mountains, and it is just this beautiful spot. And we will camp all week. Um, it's a, definitely a, a different experience for, for our students. Uh, there is one little water spigot in the, in the middle of the camp. Um, there are no showers. There are no bathrooms. Um, the students cook their, their, own, their own meals. There are teams. Everyone's responsible for different elements throughout the week. And it really, it, it's like Survivor, you know? I mean, we're, uh, we are just out there under the elements. We've had nights where it's just stormed like crazy and our stuff gets soaked. And it's just um, but it's an incredible time, and there's, we have opportunities to go whitewater rafting, and we go rock climbing and all these things. But usually about Thursday, um, we go and we, we go to a place called Lost Creek Cave. Um, and I want to tell you about, about this this morning because it will help us um, as, as we get into the passage. And Lost Creek Cave um, is in, uh, as I said, it's in Tennessee. And it's, um, it starts out, it's actually a massive opening. And, and really, when you first walk in, it feels like you're walking into this room. It's not necessarily what you would think of a caving. It's not tight spaces, though there are those further in. Um, and we start in, and uh, we've got a couple of guides, thankfully, because I would get us lost, you know. And so we've got some professional guides that, that are there with us. And as we go in, and the students, they've all got their flashlights, we've got our helmets on and all, all of these things. And as we, as we go, about maybe 10, 15 minutes in, the guide gathers us around and he says, all right, I want you to, uh, I want you to stop and I want you to, you know, kind of everyone kneel down and we kind of gather together. He says, I want you to turn off your lights. Uh, so everybody um, turns off, off their flashlights and their headlamps and, uh, and we just kind of sit there in, in the silence. And as your eyes begin to adjust, it is a blackness. It is a darkness 
that is just envelops you. I mean, it's like it's like it's heavy, like you can feel it upon you so much so that as you are there and uh, there is absolutely no light whatsoever. I mean, you're putting your hand in front of your face and you cannot see it. And it's not this thing where your eyes eventually adjust. You just can't see anything. It is a complete darkness. All right. It's a good time to push somebody. They don't know who did it. You know, um, just kidding. All right. Um, but really, you're just sitting there and it is it is unbelievable. And the guide, one of the stories that has stood out to me over over these years is he would tell us how he and a a friend, another guide, who have led groups in this cave, in this darkness, hundreds of times. In fact, they they know it extremely well. What they did a couple years back is they they went in deep into the cave and they got to the point where there was, you know, just utter darkness. And they, they tell the story that they decided, all right, the two of us who've been in here countless times, who know our way around... We are going to shut our lights off and we are going to find our way out of the cave without using any light. We didn't do this with the students, just in case you're wondering. Okay, so, um, so they go, here's these professional guides, and they go and do this. And what ends up happening, as they tell the story, is that for over an hour, they are crawling and they're running into things and knocking their head and falling and stumbling. And they're completely lost. They're completely disoriented. And here is these, these guys that should know, know their way, and yet eventually they have to say, we've got to turn on the lights. We cannot find our way. For over an hour, they stumbled around in the darkness. For over an hour, they could not find their way out. And they, what they needed ultimately was they needed to turn on the light. And if you're like me this morning, I know in my life there are oftentimes I feel like I'm stumbling around in the dark. I, I want to know which way does God want me to go? What are the things that I'm supposed to do? And yet sometimes it's very confusing. If we're honest, things don't always make sense. Things sometimes are very um, chaotic. Things can be confusing. Sometimes we just don't get it and we wonder, God, what, what is going on? What are you trying to, to do? And we want desperately for there to be light. Um, I know this is the case in my life. We know it's the case in our world. As we think about um, the world out there, we realize that there's great darkness out in the world. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the, the television station and watch the news for a few minutes, and you realize that there is civil war that is raging in the parts of the world. There's the AIDS epidemic that is just, just you know, ravishing and leaving, um, you know, just millions of, of orphan kids because of this, that there is extreme poverty in other parts of the world. And we realize very quickly that there is great darkness out there in the world. But this is also true, that there is great darkness present in this room, that each one of you, as you came in this morning, you're bringing in with you all kinds of your own, your own junk and your own baggage. And I'm the, the same way. We come in and there's a lot of things in our lives that are dark. There are a lot of things that can be confusing. We have a lot of questions. We have a lot of wonderings about, God, what is it that you're trying to do here? And I know we can't give an exhaustive list. And don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up and share what the, those things are right now. But just think about, about this and ask, where are you th- this morning? So I was thinking about for some, you may be dragging in here, it's a broken relationship and that is really, it's stressing you out and there are things, it just, what used to be so good and healthy is now broken and fractured and splintered and it just is confusing. Maybe for you it's your job, Uh, either you're looking for a job, maybe you've, uh, you have a job but you don't like it, Um, who knows, Uh, perhaps it's finances, that's got you stressed out this morning. That is weighing heavy on, on you. It is your health, perhaps, um, that used to be um, just a pinnacle of health. And, and, and now um, you just, you know, you're fighting, whether it be disease, 
All sorts of things. We know this to be the case in, in this world. Sometimes it's family strain. Um, some of you are very thankful right now that it's October because that means it's not quite yet Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know? Um, and you're not necessarily looking forward to all the, those gatherings. Maybe for you, you're in here this morning and, and it's, it's tough. Your marriage started out as this beautiful, harmonious relationship and now it is anything but that. For some, maybe the darkness is actually your singleness um, and you're struggling with that and what that, that looks like. For some, maybe it actually is the thought not only of retirement someday, but maybe you're there and you're thinking, this is not what I thought it would be. Maybe it's your kids. Your desire to have them and you don't have them yet. Maybe you have them and you've got lots of questions, you know, um, and things that, that are going on. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. You've experienced this in recent months. Again, I don't know what it is. The relationship with God, at once, maybe it felt so vibrant and alive. And this morning, if you're honest, it just feels... It's not there. It's just dark and confusing. Uh, maybe it's an addiction that you're struggling with. Maybe it's past abuse in your life. I don't know what it is that you bring in here this morning. But I do know that each one of us has things that seemingly they just don't make sense. And we feel like we are those people in the cave stumbling around looking for our way. And we need light. There's this beautiful story that takes place in John chapter 9 that I want to take a minute to, uh, to read through here. And in this story, we find a man who has lived his entire life blind. He's lived his entire life in, in the darkness. And, uh, and we're gonna, as, we, as we get to that, as, as we read this story, it is a true story because it, it happened. And we know that in the scriptures. But it's, there's also truth in it because it's our story if we begin to ask these questions. So I had to challenge you this morning. Ask yourself, what darkness has enveloped you? Where are you stumbling around looking for light? Be thinking about those things. So as we come upon this story, it's in John. We're going to read the first nine verses of chapter 9. And here's what, what it says. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents said, sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. All right? Um... I want us to ask a few questions as, as we get into this. Uh, one that has always jumped out to me um, that seems a little confusing is, let's be honest, what's going on with this, the spitting in the mud? You know what I mean? Like, um, doesn't that, it seems a little bit bizarre. It's a strange way, certainly, for, for Jesus to use to, to heal a man. And what I want to ask us, uh, ask us to think through this morning is, the question that, that we need to ask, perhaps, is, what was the blind man's world like? So think for a minute. Here's a man that had been blind his entire life. His life was nothing but darkness. It would have been chaotic, confusing. His life, he wouldn't have had any way to navigate. He always would have been relying on other people. His life would have made almost no sense at all. He was not able to work. As we're told from the story, he had to sit and beg even just for his very sustenance. He was a man that was living in utter darkness. Things were chaotic, confusing, 
um, things did not make sense. And as we think about that, think about what his world was like, we need to ask ourselves this then, where have we seen this before? And I think John, the writer of this gospel, is doing something very interesting. John wants his readers to travel back to the story of Genesis. We heard some of the verses even this morning as as Wes read them early on in the service. And I want to take a moment to to recap this. We're not going to look at all of the the verses. But let's think for a moment. What do you know about the beginning? If you were to open up your Bibles and you were to read about how the world was at the very beginning. It says that there was the Spirit of God and it was hovering over the waters. The word that the Jewish people at that time would have used to describe it was just, it was utter darkness. It was chaos. And what we see in this story as that as the days go and as each day of creation progresses, we see a God that has entered into this world and has said, I'm going to take this darkness and I'm going to begin to order it and I'm going to make something beautiful out of it. And so early on, we see that there, the world goes from darkness to having light. Interesting that Jesus even starts this section out of the scriptures reminding his disciples that I am the light of the world. And as the days progress, things get more ordered. All right? It goes from darkness to light. We see a world that goes from complete chaos. That's what our world was like prior to the creation. All right? That it was completely chaotic. The spirit was hovering over these dark, chaotic waters. It's very similar to what the man himself, the blind man, what his world must have like. He would have experienced this reality on a daily basis. It goes from chaos to order. And yet, as the days progress, we read in chapter 2 this amazing account. And here's where this... this uh, image comes up again. It says in Genesis 2 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now jump back to, to John 9, and you have Jesus who is stooping down and with his own breath, his own spit, he is making mud out of the dirt, out of the, the dust, and placing on these people's, on this man's eyes. And here, in the creation account, the pinnacle of God's creation, where it is the most ordered, the most harmonious, the, the end of, of it all, um, is a God that is forming out of the very dust of the earth. Um, he, is, he is forming humankind. He is forming man. And it's this beautiful thing that we see. And what we need to see th- this morning is this. That God is still doing this. And so as we think about those questions of what you and I are both bringing in here this morning, we need to know and be encouraged that God is still at work in this world. That God is always taking things that were seemingly dark and chaotic and moving them to be more orderly, more harmonious, more beautiful, more the way he originally intended things to be. But... If you're like me, you read that, that, the, that account in John 9, and if we're honest, we have the same questions. We wonder some of the same things. For instance, the disciples right away, um, their question is, well, God, who sinned? Was it the man? Did he mess up? Is that why he's blind? Is that why all this bad stuff is happening to him? Or they say, did his parents, or the parents the ones, ones to blame? And Jesus is quick to po- point out in this case, no, that, that's not it. That is not what is going on here. But we do the same thing. Isn't it interesting how things never change? You know, something might be going on in our life, and sometimes it's, it's true that it is a result of our sin, but there are things oftentimes that are, for whatever reason, we can't explain. And it, it is, and Jesus is reminding us that, hey, there's a greater purpose at work. And so we, we wonder that these things. We're very much like the disciples. But Jesus, so gracious, he gives them the answer right, right there in this, this section of John 9. He says this, but this happened. This man was blind so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. 
This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. It wasn't about the sin that had happened or anything. It was that God was wanting to demonstrate his power and show his glory. If you'll travel back with me for a moment, I want to take you back to the, the cave um, illustration, Lost, Lost Creek Cave. And in addition to the, the initial story that, that I've told you, um, one of the highlights for me, so to speak, is after we've been in there, we'll be down in, in that cave for maybe two to three hours. Um, and there are some parts, I'm just a big chicken that, that I won't go, go through, some, some of the tight spaces, and I just cheer the students on and say, woohoo, way to go, you know. And, um, and uh, it's called the birth canal, and they come, it's, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's like, oh, look, there's a boy, it's a girl, what a, you know, and, uh, and, and I just kind of stand there and say, oh, I'm taking pictures, you know, and that, that's what I do. And, but as we, as we travel through the cave and we're going, and it's, um, it's in many ways, it's, it's breathtaking, there's a river that runs through it, and there's a waterfall deep in the middle, middle of the cave, um, but as, as we're going through, one of the most amazing things to me is as we are headed out, and we are kind of we're coming around this corner and we've got it's these just kind of uh these huge boulders of rock that you're you're climbing over and your feet are slipping it's just all muddy and you're trying to stay focused and yet what you can see off in the distance is the light just a a little bit of it is beginning to stream in Um, and as you get closer and closer all of a sudden it is just the most magnificent light-filled experience you've ever had as you're going and you're emerging out of the darkness and the light begins to pour in. And the thing that always strikes me, I tell you, I've you know, been in here four or five times now and the, from the very first time to the last time I did this, it never ceases to amaze me. As we come out of the cave, it is this like feast for your eyes. It's unbelievable because as I'm looking out, Somehow the blue of the sky looks more blue than I have ever seen it. And the whites of the clouds have never looked so radiant and white. And the green uh, on, on the, the leaves of the trees, it's just breathtaking. And, and I'm wondering, man, did, what, what happened in the two, three hours that we were in there? Did, did, you know, did, somehow, did, did God decide to you know, make things in HD? I don't know what's going on. You know? And uh, that's high definition if you didn't catch that. Okay, so... Um, and, and it's just, it's unbelievable. And you're coming out of that, that, that experience. And I realize none of it changed. The only thing that changed was that I traveled through the darkness. And as I traveled through, that is the world that I got accustomed to. But as I emerge out of the cave, I have this appreciation for the world that I typically live in that is so much greater. And I have an appreciation for, man, this world that God has given me is, it's amazing. Think about for a moment what it would have been like for the blind man. It says he's blind from birth. He's never seen anything. And God takes him through this darkness and brings light. Imagine the feast for his eyes that it would have been. And God is changing his perspective, um, giving him a, a new perspective. And God, I, I, I think of that as I was in that cave. God alters my perspective. And it's so that, it's the, this verse again. But this happens so that the work of God might be displayed in him. We have to know that God is always at work bringing things from darkness to light, from chaos to order. And that God, even though you may be in a time where it's extremely dark and people may mean well and say, oh, I'm sorry, I know how you feel. And you're thinking, you have no idea how I feel. Uh, have you had those moments in, in 
you know, and there's those things that, that are oftentimes going on, and we have to trust, and it's difficult to do, um, and it's not to slap a Bible verse on it and say, oh, this will make it all better, but we serve a God that from the very beginning has always been doing this in the world, and that is what continues to do. It's what he did with the blind man, but it's what he does with us, and he's changing our perspective, and he's saying, I know you're in this dark time. I know you're wandering around uh, just feeling completely helpless and aimless in the darkness of this cave, but be encouraged. I am at work, and this is happening so that the work of God might be displayed in your life. As the story continues, uh, there's some, these are the concluding verses. We're jumping toward, to the end of the chapter. There's this whole middle section, which we don't have time to get into, uh, where the Pharisees get all upset because Jesus actually healed this man on the Sabbath. And there's a lot of interesting dialogue there. And I encourage you to go and read that. But later on in the story, the man basically has been, been kicked out. Um, and, and Jesus goes and seeks him out. And he says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And then the most glorious of of verses in this chapter, I think, the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. So cool that the end of the story, though it was certainly about the man's physical healing, all right, that that does take place. Ultimately, the man's eyes were open so that he can not only see him physically, but also that he was awakened spiritually, that he could be a worshiper of Jesus. That is our highest calling. That is what you and I are called to do, even in the darkness. I'm reminded of, of Job, who when all these things were happening to him, was a man that still worshipped God in the, in the midst of the pain. And this, this is what we see this, this man doing, saying, God, I'm so thankful that you've brought me out of, out of this darkness. But it's not just about the physical healing. It's about the fact that his eyes were open so that he could worship. So these questions come up again. What darkness has enveloped you? What are the things that are going on in, in your life? Where are you stumbling around looking for light? Maybe another way to think about it is this. How is God wanting to display his work in your life? Because this is what he's wanting to do. And I, I've got, uh, I realize that there's sometimes, there, there are no easy answers. Um, I wish you could just say, well, just follow the, these three steps and everything will be okay. But ask yourself, with the things that are going on in your life, the darkness, how is God wanting to display his work in your life? And so for some of you th- this morning, uh, maybe you're here and the reality is you, you don't know Jesus. Um, you don't have a relationship with him. And so maybe for you, it is asking God to bring his light into your life, maybe for the first time. And that's, that's what you need to do this morning and say, you know what? I have been stumbling around, trying to make it on my own. I feel like the, the guide there in, in the cave is supposedly the professional, supposedly you know, knows what he's doing, and yet I can't make it. Some of us, maybe you're a Christian, but the reality of the gospel has grown dim in your life. Well, what do I mean about that? I think sometimes we have this, because uh, I know I do, this notion that, okay, I've, I've been saved, and I know that I'm going to heaven someday. Uh, but I oftentimes fail to have faith in the fact that the gospel is at work in my life, in the here and now as well. That God's work, um, that God is always at work in, in my life to bring me from darkness to light, from chaos to order. Um, and I oftentimes don't, I don't rest in that. If I'm honest, oftentimes I think, okay, I know where I'm going, my eternal destiny. I have those, those things sort of, you know, in place. But I fail to see that God is wanting to 
to work right here and now in the relationships that I have in, in my life, in my job, whatever it, it might be. And so one of the things we need to look at here with the, uh, with the blind man is, is this, is there was a hope-filled action. You need a hope-filled action. Read the, this verse one more time. Jesus, after he put the, the mud on the man's eyes, he said, go. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sense. The man went and washed and came home seeing. Very interesting. As you read the first few verses, one of the things that is absent is that Jesus didn't say, if you do this, I will heal you. All right? He didn't say, oh, I'm, here's, here's why I'm making the mud. Here's what's going on. And just give it a few minutes. Let it, let it dry. You know, uh, rinse, repeat, whatever. You know, um, he didn't do any of that. And, uh, and, and yet the man had a hope in what was happening, and he was compelled to go and to, to take some action. And this is not to say that we do it in our own strength, but if you think about those things, this list, and you, if you were you know, putting this together, you would have other things certainly to add to that list as well. But what might God be asking you to do this morning as you think about the, the darkness, as you think about the things that are confusing in your own life, what, what might it be? Maybe there is a relationship that you know it used to be it used to be, it wasn't perfect, nothing's perfect, but it used to be good and it used to, there, there used to be some health and you know that that's not where it is this morning. Maybe you need to take some initiative to go and you're saying, well, you, you don't know the story. You don't know they were the ones that were wrong. Well, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things sometimes maybe we just got to kind of die to ourselves and say, you know what, I, I desire things to be made right. Uh, perhaps it is with, with, with a marriage, something that doesn't seem quite right and it's taking the initiative to have a hope-filled action saying, all right, we're going to seek out, we're going to lay our pride aside and seek out the help that we need. I don't know. I don't know what, you know, we could go through all of these. And the reality is I can't offer you a specific solution because I don't know exactly what your story is. But I would challenge you to think about that and say, like the man, how can I have a hope-filled action? A hope not in ourselves, but a hope that is resting in Jesus, that he is the God of this world. He's the king that is always at work, bringing darkness to light, chaos to order. And this is the God that we serve. This is the reason we can have hope. We have, and we can take a hope-filled action because of these things. There's a story. Um, one of my favorite things in the world to do is to actually uh, spend, spend time reading. Um, I buy way more books than I should. Um, and and uh, I've got stacks of them that I'm, you know, meaning to get to sometime, you know, and I, I'll tell you, you know, an addiction for me is like, I can't leave borders without buying something, you know, that's just how it is. And uh, one of the books, this is a couple of years ago, the, uh, I picked up at a conference I was at, and most of the time, you know, I'm reading the books and they're very, they're very interesting. And this one, it was, some, it was at a whole new level. Um, and it wasn't because it was hard to understand on the, on the one hand, it was a fairly easy read, it was a relatively short book, but there was something about it that was so not easy to read. It was gut-wrenching, and it was awful on, on, in many accounts. Um, there's a woman named Renee Altson, and she wrote this book called Stumbling Toward Faith. And I want to read to you a few quotes from it, because it is, it is a woman's story of sheer and utter darkness, darkness that I, um, I know I can't even begin to relate to. And yet it is a story of hope and of redemption, of restoration, of, of light coming in. Um, and I, I want to share that th- th- this morning. She writes the, these words in, in her book. Early on, she says, Much of my abuse was spiritual. And when I say spiritual, I don't mean new age, esoteric, random mumblings from half-wicked parents. 
I don't mean that I grew up thinking all the wrong ideas about religion or what it meant to be saved because I was given too much freedom or too many options. I don't, believe, uh, I don't mean that my father protested the phrase under God in the Pledge of Allegiance or told me there was more than one way to heaven. And then she writes these words. I mean that my father raped me while reciting the Lord's Prayer. This woman, her story, supposedly this, what her, should have been her father, her Christian father, in fact, is doing something that's completely just the most awful thing you could think of. And she goes on and she says, here's my story. My father prayed with me every night and he prayed, Heavenly Father, make my daughter a better person. And you, if you're like me, you read that and you're like, oh my gosh. Like, if, you know, thinking on the one hand, um, you know, I'm sure it'd be okay if I ever saw that guy. Jesus would want me to take a two by four upside his head, right? You know, that's what would, um, what would be the, the thing to do. And, and you, you read this and you're thinking, how in the world can this happen? How in the world can this be going on? I mean, imagine the confusion. Imagine the darkness. Imagine what her life was like. And yet, as the story goes on, it's, uh, thankfully, it takes a, a turn for the better. And she's able, later on, she can pen these words. She says, this is her, as she's describing the hope that she has. She says, hope is love and grace and light, even in the middle of the shadow of death. Now, I'll be honest, I, don't, I have no idea what the shadow of death is compared to th- this woman. I mean, the things that she's been through. And yet she is able to write these words, that hope is love and grace and light. And she's been a woman that can testify the fact that God has taken her from a world that is dark and as chaotic as can possibly be. And he is bringing her into light and things are getting harmonious. Things are not perfect. Uh, she still struggles. She still has a lot of confusion, a lot of things that are going on. But she can write these words. She goes on. She says, isn't it something that these stories matter? That my story and his story and your story, they intertwine and meet. And that God makes something, something lovely and beautiful and meaningful out of our wretched, halting words. Whatever junk you dragged in here this morning, whatever darkness it is that that you are in, God is wanting to make his power known in your life. And the cool thing is, is that we don't, our stories are not isolated. As as Reggie reminded us earlier, we are not just the one candle. Uh, We are the city that is shining together and that God is weaving our stories and that we need each other's stories. And that uh, I hope that you find even in this place uh, a, a true community where you can be honest with what your story is and that you can see that God is at work and that your story and my story join up with the grand narrative, the grand story of how God is at work in the world. She goes on to say, and I love this, I want to tell the world that something is fundamentally shifting in me. I don't understand it, but it feels like rebirth, like new roots in old soil. It feels like hope and light. I want to tell the world that this thing I have sought for so long is coming home to me in spite of myself, that I am being relentlessly pursued by a benevolent, light-filled grace that I can't explain or define or resist. The God that we serve, the God that we've been singing songs to this morning, the God we offer up our prayers to is a benevolent, light-filled God that we, we can't define in many ways and we, uh, we can't fully explain and we can't resist, but know that he is pursuing you. Know that he is wanting to take you from darkness into light. Know that he wants the power of the gospel to be at work, not only to save you someday, but to save you now, to, to restore things to how he originally intended them to be. And it's not to say everything is going to be perfect. We know we are living on, on this side of eternity, but 
if Renee Alton can write these words and find this hope in not in herself, not even in the church community, thankfully that she got connected with, but her hope is in the light of the world. Her hope is in Jesus. And that's what we need to do this morning. And so as things get restored, as things get put back together, I'm reminded of this, and this is where we'll close, that when things are restored, when things are taken from darkness into light, this restoration that we experience should always lead to participation. That God is never saying, okay, great, I'm fixing you up and I'm getting things ready and now that's just so you can just kind of kick back and, and enjoy it. God is always restoring us. He's always, maybe you've heard it this way, he's always building a community to reach a community, all right? God is always at work doing these things. And as we read earlier, we'll read it again, Matthew five fourteen. you are the light of the world. So interesting that Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the light of the world. But he also commissions us that now you, we, collectively are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And so I ask you as we, as we wrap up, just imagine for a moment that if we really were building a community here where people were able to share their stories and say, this is how I've been brought from darkness into light. Here is where I've seen the power of the gospel at work in my life. And people... Um, uh, and we're, we're honest with that and we're able to share those stories and that they're, they're weaving together. And then we are sent out as that, we are that, that city that collectively in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, in uh, the club sport you participate on, in your, uh, your college campus, um, you know, wherever it is, the neighborhood you live in, wherever that God has put you there for a reason that you are to be the light of the world. And imagine what our city could look like. I love that when we, you pull into, um, you know, it, it's a nice sign, and you, you maybe you've flown to the airport recently, and it says, Orlando, a city beautiful. Um, and in many ways it is, but we know there's a lot of darkness. We know that things are not right. But what if those words could be true? Imagine if we had a group of people that started with the people in this room that said, we want to bring light. We want to be that city on a hill, and we want to be at work with God in this world, bringing light into the dark places. How beautiful would that be? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you are a benevolent, light-filled God. I thank you that you have invited us to participate with you in bringing light. Um, God, I ask uh, for every one of us, myself included, that um, it's not easy to wrestle with the darkness. It's not something we, we tend to want to run away from it. Um, but God, um, it's all around us. And the only, and what we really need is we need light. And we need that from you. And so God, we ask that we would, uh, uh, that we would cling to you. That we would uh, seek out your light. And that we would be that light to a, a dark and, and hurting world. Uh, thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Thank you for what you did for the blind man. But thank you for what you're doing with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.